you have to just think, you know, what is the worst that can happen? And a lot of times it's really not that bad because, <laughs> you know, I feel like Rich Dad Poor Dad is fresh in my mind and it just, it literally covers like everything. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. In this episode, we are interviewing Cody Dunlap, aka Cody Thrive. This dude has an amazing story. When he hit me up on Instagram, I was like, man, we got to get you on the podcast because he actually won over $100,000 through a reality TV show. And that is not something you hear about every day, okay? One of my mentors, somebody that I really look up to, actually won a significant amount of money on the price is, on the price is Right. And ever since hearing that story from him, I was always really fascinated in the idea of game shows, reality TV shows, and winning money through a TV show. And this guy, Cody Thrive, was able to effectively hack this Survivor show on MTV and, and win a significant amount of money doing so. So I wanted to bring him on the show to share that experience and really like dive a little bit deeper and sort of peel back the curtain on reality TV, what goes into a reality TV show, and how he was actually able to hack it in order to win over $100,000. Because again, like, going on a TV show and winning some serious money like that is something that we talk about and it's not actually as hard as you would expect. Like there's not really as much competition as you would expect to get on some of these shows. So we sort of break down exactly how you can do it and how you can hack these shows to potentially get on and win some significant money. So if that's something you're interested in, I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money with Cody Thrive. I know you're gonna get a ton out of this episode. So plug in, check in, and get ready for some value. Cody, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good, man. I've been waiting for this all day, so I'm excited that it's finally here. I am stoked to be chatting here with you today. Cody, so our listeners, they heard a little bit about you and your story in the intro, but for those of them that aren't familiar with you and who you are, could you give us a quick like 60 second intro as to where you're at right now? And then we're going to sort of flash back in time and work our way up to the present. Okay. Sounds good. I'm only 25 years old, but man, I feel like there is so much to hit on. So <laughs> I grew up, grew up playing high school sports, right? So I wanted to play college baseball. So I was real focused on that. Didn't get to, didn't get any opportunities to play college baseball. So I was kind of lost that first semester of school. I went to, I'm from San Antonio originally, went to Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas for one year. And uh, like, as soon as I got there a couple weeks in, I was just like, man, like, I just, I feel like I'm without a purpose, right? Hmm. Uh, so I, wanted to, I wanted to compete in some way, shape or form. Um, so I was watching a series on Netflix called Surviving the Cut and I found the military and I found like, you know, uh, like special operations type stuff, like Navy SEAL training was one of the episodes and Ranger School was one of the episodes. So I enlisted in the Texas Army National Guard, which is like the Army for Texas. The, the, time commitment, the time commitment is only one week in a month. So it allowed me to do the military stuff while staying in school. So I got to become a college student that was also an airborne infantryman in the Army. And uh, it was fun. I had that camaraderie with the group of guys and, uh, you know, certainly have made some good friendships and some great memories, but it wasn't enough. I ultimately wanted to win something. So I wanted, you know, in baseball, I always competed for the championship. So that's where I've said one day, I was like, I always watched reality TV growing up. So I said, you know what, I'm going to get on a TV show and win a TV show because I see too many people that are just falling into this where they, they land there by luck just because someone has to be on a TV show. And then of the group of 20 people, someone has to win. And you saw these people that didn't do anything to earn it. And they were getting million dollar prizes for some of these shows. So I studied the process of getting on 
and I trained myself to like talk on camera and stare down the camera lens and, and all that stuff. And I figured out what my, my selling points were to a producer. And I ultimately got myself on a show called Strands with a Million Dollars. I won 125000 And, you know, it's, it's pretty cool because we're in the entrepreneurship space. That reality TV show is so much like financial decisions and just how um, people really our age between 18 and 25 kind of understand the comps, concepts of money. So it was a really perfect show for me because it was outdoors. It was a competition. And then we were making financial decisions, um, you know, deciding how to spend tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on things that would ultimately impact not just the moment that we were in, but, um, you know, the future afterwards, because that would affect how much prize money we walked away with. So I got $125,000 there. Um, and then now today I am a full-time recruiter in the Texas Army National Guard. So I'm working full-time doing that. And I just got married last month. Congratulations. My new wife. Thank you. Uh, so I, I was dating her throughout this whole process, kind of. We met when I was 21, 20, 21 and a half, 22, something like that. So four and a half years ago. So I've been with her throughout most of that. And we are, I bought uh, my first, we bought our first house together last August. And then I'm doing a lot of retail arbitrage stuff. Also, kind of, you know, we'll get into it more, but uh, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm, making on youtube and then i'm kind of turning my instagram into that too is just flipping stuff at the outlets awesome dude you hit on a lot of different things there and i'm super stoked to dive deeper into your story because it's, it's super interesting to me i've never had somebody on the show who has won a game show before and i've always been fascinated with the idea of sort of like learning the system and then sort of gaming it to your advantage so first thing i want to touch on is something i like to ask all of my guests is talk to me about your experience in middle school and high school i'm always interested um, where people were at. I know you said you were very into baseball, but were you somebody who was into entrepreneurship at that age? Were you, were you flipping stuff at that age? Were you somebody who took school very seriously? Or what did that look like for you? Uh, yeah, so I always, made, I always made an effort to get A's and B's. Uh, you know, rarely I would get a C there. So, but the, the kids I was around, they were taking it really seriously. I'm pretty sure um, a lot of them have the employee mindset, but mm -hmm. it's interesting because I'm listening to, and like when I say employee, I'm talking like doctors and lawyers, like they're going to good colleges, they're going to, you know, grad school now, I'm 25. Um, so those things, but there's always a lot of pressure on going to college in my high school. Um, I think like, oh, I think over 90% of the students went on to college at wow. the school. So pretty much, pretty much everybody. Um, I'll tell you a story about when I was in middle school, eighth grade. Um, there was a Black Friday sale. This is when I first got into flipping, actually. So, I mean, I've been thinking about money since I was very young. So, it's it's something that's natural to me. Hmm. Um, it's not. I feel like it's something that you know is just part of my DNA. Where it's not like I made the choice to do it. Um, I've maybe made the choice to like triple down on it, but it's something that was natural. Uh, so, Black Friday sale at Baseball Express. I flipped like my dad, you know, helped loan me the money, but I flipped like ten. There are 12 baseball bats. We bought them for 50. I sold them for 150. Uh, and they sold pretty quick. So that was kind of my first taste of flipping. Uh, but I didn't dive too deep into it until after the TV show. What kind of gave me the confidence uh, to do that was I made a, I wanted to make a YouTube channel, but I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know that there was retail arbitrage YouTube channels. So I just made a video showing people what I did because I thought it would provide value to them. And everybody was commenting like, oh, this is what Gary Vee is saying to do. 
And I heard it like three times and I was like, I got to look this guy up. So I looked <laughs> him up and I went down, you know, the rabbit hole, found everyone else. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's people doing this and making like insane amounts of money. I need to really dive deeper into this because I was only making like a thousand dollars profit a month to get by during college. Mm -hmm. and I was like, wow, you can really make, you know, you can really build wealth this way. Um, and then one thing I kind of skipped over to, to go back to when I was in high school, mm -hmm. um, I was, you know, it was the, I guess, you know, top two or three most wealthy high schools in San Antonio. So wow. in my, my city, but I was the, in the, um, I guess, poorest neighborhood within that. So listening to Rich Dad Poor Dad right now, I'm listening on audiobook on my commute to work. It's kind of crazy because I kind of see similarities there where I see, you know, I always looked at my parents and I was like, you know, they do better than most people financially, but I always saw them compared to my friends. And it's kind of makes you think like, you know, I know that these people aren't better than me, but they're living lives with nicer cars and nicer things. So how can I, I don't know, it kind of, I guess, puts a chip on your shoulder a bit. Um, just being within your high school bubble, being the the lowest um, financially, even though my parents, you know, both, you know, make around six figures now. Yeah, absolutely. And it can always be extremely motivating to see like what's possible and, and compare that to your current situation and sort of think about how can I go from where I'm at now to where I see my peers being at. And I think that that can really be a lot more motivating to somebody than, than if they're already in that position and they're, they're, they're the status quo, they're the same position as everyone else, or they're even born into it above everyone else. Um, and then they don't have that drive to sort of make it for themselves because they've already been handed it to them. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think about it a lot, just, you know, what that experience in middle school and high school, how it affects people in different situations. But I do think being the lowest within that little bubble was good. Um, but then also it's fascinating. So San Antonio in central Texas, really the cost of living is very low. Hmm. So even the people that are the most wealthy here, um, I feel like, you know, it's situational, of course, but they're not even close to the most wealthy in California and places like that. So you really want to open your mind and broaden your horizons. I get on, I don't know if you do this or not, but I get on the realtor app and just look at like, you know, what $10 million can get you certain areas and stuff like that. And it kind of helps motivate me as well. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. So talk to us now about this process. So, so you, you're in high school, you're flipping stuff a little bit. You, you progress into college where you're still flipping stuff. And then you decide to join the army national guard. What made you want to do that it sounded like you you wanted some camaraderie you wanted some some competition in a way was was that the main the main driver for you yeah so i had a, a major and i didn't i wasn't flipping in high school actually i had that oh. big flip in middle school but i actually started flipping man i started flipping maybe when i was 19 or 20 so okay. i kind of got kind of got laid into the game but yeah so I, I was so competitive with baseball and not getting an opportunity to play college baseball really made me angry um, and just disappointed me because I saw all these guys that I knew I was better than, uh, you know, I did well against competing against in high school and they had all these opportunities I didn't. Um, so you see people that you know you're better than get more opportunities than you. And uh, I kind of saw the army as a, a way where it was, it was really a mental toughness thing. It was kind of mm -hmm. like, just don't quit and you'll get through it. A lot of the things like, you know, airborne school, ranger school, things like that, um, you know, that I watched the documentaries on got me motivated because it's like, look, you get the opportunity you just don't quit and you'll get through and you don't need to count on anyone else believing in you. Whereas like college baseball, you need one coach to offer you a scholarship, a spot on their team and the army, you know, you volunteer to do the training and then you push through it. And you know, that's ultimately on you. You have no one to blame but yourself if you make it through or if you don't make it through. Uh, so that's really what got me excited there. 
but that was more of like a, a mental toughness thing. It's not like, like whenever there's a school, a military school and you're graduating, it's not like there's winners and losers. It's like, you know, you guys accomplished it. You made it through. Um, whereas uh, I really like that direct competition where it was me versus somebody else, which is what you got with baseball when you're facing off one-on-one with someone, you know, batting and hitting. Uh, so that's really where I started to focus on getting on the TV show mm-hmm. uh, thing. Yeah. So talk to us about that process and how you decided, A, like which TV show you wanted to go on. Like how, how did that process look for you? I know you said you wanted to find something that was outside and you were like directly competing against somebody, but that does leave like a lot of options available to you. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of knew that the first show that wanted me, I'd have to go, I kind of felt like I had to take because, uh, you know, I wanted there to be a money, to be money, to be a cash prize. Cause it, that would tell me that you could win something. Ultimately, um, it was between CBS and MTV. Those were the two. So you had Survivor on CBS, you have Big Brother on CBS, and then you have um, MTV, really the shows at that time fed into the challenge. So you'd either have to do Are You the One, which is a dating show, and then The Real World, um, which fed into the challenge, which is the ultimate, you know, that was my main goal to get on that. So when I saw on MTV's site uh, that that they had this new survival challenge show, um, I knew it would be perfect because at that time, Real World was dying out. So I knew they had to replace Real World with something. So I, I thought that Stranded, which it was unnamed survival project at this time, and Are You The One would be the two feeders into the challenge. Mm-hmm. And then I ultimately wanted to make a career on the challenge because um, that would give me an opportunity to constantly compete. And then also to, um, you know, I didn't know a ton about personal branding back then, but I knew that if you had a following, you could turn that into you know, uh, a nice income. And then I knew I could win the show every now and then. So I felt like I could, you know, just do that for a living and Mm -hmm. avoid having to work for someone else, work for a boss. Uh, So I kind of, you know, had some pieces floating around there, but I hadn't really put it all together until, you know, these last couple of years. Okay. So, so you applied to, what does the process even look like for applying to be on a game show? You know, it's, uh, people always ask me that and it's, it's, kind of simpler than people think you just go on the website just like if you wanted to get a job at apple right you wanted to get a summer internship you go on their website you look for opportunities which it'll say like now casting you look at the you know the positions the tv shows and then you just you know submit your application which which it's not a resume it's a self bio so you type a bio about yourself try to be funny try to highlight you know the things that you think would be appealing to them uh, maybe three pictures sometimes. Sometimes they want a three-minute video. Uh, so things like that. And then, and then once you submit the application, you'll get a phone call. you got to carry a good conversation on the phone, make the person laugh on the other end a little bit, um, and then you'll get a Skype interview. So Skype interview, it's important to do well on camera, to you know, put your sentences together and, and really speak in sound bites so that they can clip those highlights together. And then if they like you, their job, they're basically like recruiters. Um, where they interview, you know, maybe they have 30 minute interviews all day and they pick their favorite three and they pitch those three to the next level. And then if they like you, they'll invite you out to LA and then you'll do your in-person interviews. Jeez, so I went to LA twice. <laughs> yeah, I got, I had to wait till I was 21. So I went through basic training when I was 19. I had to wait till I was 21 to apply for most shows. As soon as I was 21, I applied for Are You The One Season 3. Made us to LA, um, and then I didn't get selected for the show, and I was pretty. That just added fuel to the fire, you know. I was already mm-hmm. pissed off to get on a TV show. I already had a huge chip on my shoulder, but from that point, it was like as soon as I got sent home that day, um, I was just like in the airport. And I was like, I know I'm gonna get on a show, 
it's just a matter of time. Uh, you know, I'm going to be back here. And then sure enough, I was back like less than a year later for the stranded finals. And uh, it gave me a lot of confidence and it really worked out well because I won a lot more money on stranded and I was able to uh, have a lot more camera time too. Whereas already the one a dating show, you can't really make as much of a, an impact like character wise. Hmm. That's interesting. So how many shows did you have to apply for to get those two flyouts to LA? Well, you know, I took, I, I think I might have taken a lot of shots and, and a lot of times you don't hear anything back, but it's sure. kind of, it's, it's one of those things, same thing with entrepreneurship where, you know, you kind of have to be willing to fail a hundred times because all it takes is that one time and then you've made it. Mm. So if you're taking, you know, home run swings and, you know, every time you miss, the only thing that is affected is your mentality, right? If you let it get you down, which most people will let them get it down, get them down and they'll quit. Uh, but if you just have that one breakthrough, you know, you have that one startup business that hits it big and you sell it for millions, you know, that's all it takes is that one time. And so many humans go through life and they never give themselves that chance. So many people have a 0% chance. So many people that want to be on a TV show have no chance of getting on one simply because they don't apply. Mm. And, and the same thing applies to people where their only stream of income is, is a job and they want to be rich and they want, you know, to have a mansion and nice cars, but like they give themselves a 0% chance because they never, you know, they never try, they never go for it because they're, you know, too afraid to fail. That's the truth. I mean, yeah, if you're not, if you're not stepping up to bat, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. And you have to just, you have to just think, you know, what is the worst that can happen? And a lot of times it's really not that bad because, <laughs> you know, I feel like rich dad, poor dad is fresh in my mind and it just, it literally covers like everything. It's yeah. so amazing. But, um, but what was I about to, what was I about to hit on there? Um, oh, humans, you know, the rich dad was teaching them that humans learn through failure. Mm -hmm. So we're always taught don't fail, don't fail, but you learn through failure. So when I didn't get on Are You The One, I got all that experience and all that confidence of getting in front of the top dogs. And it was like, you know, it was like a shark tank of like six of the higher ups. And, uh, you know, they're being very intimidating just to see how I reacted, but I was caught very off guard. I mean, I was, I was barely 21 and, uh, they, they were like, you know, they made fun of everyone. I, I talked to a guy who got on the show that I'm friends with now because he watched my show when it aired a couple of years later. Um, but I talked to him and he went through the same thing where they were just, they'd pick what they thought you're most insecure about and they'd just attack you for it, see how you reacted. Uh, so when I went into the stranded fi uh, finals, I, I was just so much more prepared than anyone else mm. because I had that experience of failing. So, you know, if you can learn something through losing and through failing, it'll make you, you know, stronger that next time up, whatever you're doing in life. A hundred percent. So now, now flash forward a little bit, you've made it onto the show. What did your research process look like and how did you sort of strategize how you were going to, to win some money on this show? Oh man, this was one of the happiest uh, times in my life. So, so one of the biggest things that I learned uh, throughout the experience was that you know, through the whole experience, whether it was applying for shows and not getting called back or getting that phone call, getting excited or being on the show, which was amazing, or after the show, um, the most happy I was was leading up to the show that week before it started filming. So it's kind of like when people say the journey is the destination or enjoy the process, you know, I learned that through that little, you know, experience early on. Um, and what it's done for me now is I'm not in a rush at all to become a millionaire because, you know, I, I just have a feeling that I'm going to get there one day where I have, you know, worth $10 million or however much money. And I'm going to look back and be like, man, the, the happiest days for me was, were when, 
I was flipping shoes, turning $40 into a hundred. Um, but to answer, to answer your question, um, how did I prepare? I prepared tremendously. I watched a ton of survival shows. I watched a ton of survival how to videos on YouTube. Um, and ultimately my military experience gave me a huge edge, but my main focus was to get a lot of camera time and to do something memorable to where, when they chose, uh, the, the couple people from stranded to be on the challenge, I would be at the top of the list. And, uh, I executed that perfectly. Um, it was pretty amazing when I watched the episodes, it just, I couldn't have dreamt of, you know, being the star of a show any more than that because characters on the real world or are you the one or road rules or big brother or survivor, even characters just don't dominate, uh, in that, that fashion other than like Russell Hance or, you know, Dr. Will or some of the big legends. And, uh, unfortunately stranded didn't take off, but that was my main goal to be the most, um, you know, the most polarizing character. That way I would get invited to do more shows. Hmm. So what, what were your strategies to, to be polarizing and to, to get that screen time? You know, a lot of it, a lot of it does come natural to me. Um, but I, I, think, I think a big thing is uh, with reality TV is just being opinionated. Hmm. So having a, having a big opinion no matter what. And, and this is really true in casting. So if someone asks you, what's your favorite flavor ice cream? And you're like, well, I, you know, I like ice cream. You know, I like a few flavors. You have to be like, no, like I love, you know, chocolate and I don't know how anyone likes vanilla. I can't trust anyone that likes vanilla. So, you know, just having strong opinions. Um, I think a big thing for me was, was talking crap about the others that I was out there with. Um, but then also, since it was such a financially based show, it was, it was really my two areas of expertise, like roughing it out in the woods, sleeping in the rain out there when you're cold and tired and hungry and miserable, which is what I've done in the army. And then also just financial literacy, which I was, I was the only one out there with financial literacy. So when you have those two things and then I'm pretty comfortable getting confrontational when I know that I'm in the right. Uh, so it was just the perfect storm for me. Stranded really was. And even though I didn't get invited to do more shows because I didn't invite anyone from Stranded to do more shows, I am thankful that was, that was my one show because that was, I feel like that was the best piece of work that I could have created. And I feel like even if I did get to do more shows, I just wouldn't be able to top that performance. So it's, it's kind of a cool thing to put in my back pocket and then to move forward into, you know, this, this whole YouTube thing where I'm dedicating my life to making videos that hopefully will, you know, impact others in a positive way. hundred percent, hundred percent. So walk us through for our listeners that aren't super familiar with the format and like how stranded works, like walk us through how the show functions and then how you were able to win money on the show. Okay. Yeah, definitely. That's important uh, for everyone to understand. So uh, 40 days on an island, it was filmed in Fiji. It was a 40 day survival challenge. Mm -hmm. So all you had to do is not quit, get to day 40 and you're going to win some amount of money. Now there were 10 people, there were five guys, five girls, age 18 to 25. And they gave us a hundred thousand dollars on day one. And they gave us $100,000 every four days um, until we had a million. So 10 sets of $100,000. And they were bricks of cash, um, you know, motion picture money, of course. But they are heavy bricks of cash. And every four days, we'd also have to move locations. So it'd be like, um, you know, a, a long journey through the islands of Fiji, which is it's kind of similar to Hawaii, um, the, island of, the island that we we're on, um, if you guys are familiar with that. So it was a treacherous, you know, journey carrying all this heavy cash. You're hungry, you're sleep deprived, or you're not really sleep deprived, but you're hungry, you know, you're uncomfortable. 
And, uh, you know, people are just out of their comfort zone. And then to the, the big curveball was they threw in every fourth day, um, you, you had an opportunity to buy overpriced things with the money. Hmm. So you could spend $30,000 on a tent. You could spend $5,000 on pizza, all sorts of things where you would just suck the prize away. So it's kind of like 40 days, sacrifice for 40 days, and you'll have enough money to set yourself up for a, a nice life or, you know, instant gratification, live in the moment and only think, oh, I'm uncomfortable now. I need a tent. Oh, I'm hungry now. I need a pizza instead of thinking just six weeks ahead, um, which so many people don't have the ability to do, which really fascinates me. Um, but unfortunately for me out there, it was costing me so much money. Um, and then also uh, two, more, two more parts of the, uh, the concept. It was majority, uh, majority rules with the votes. So if there's seven of us and four people vote to buy a pizza and three vote no, then you buy that pizza and um, it comes out of everybody's money because in the end, you split the money equally. Mm. So, so if there's $500,000 and there's four people, you each get 125000 if that makes sense. Regardless of if you spent you know, 500000 and I spent zero. So. Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. So what, what sort of went into your preparations? Like I know you said you were watching all these episodes, but, but what did your, what did your strategy look like for thinking about like how you're going to spend money and how you're going to interact with the other contestants and how you're going to sort of like play up yourself? What did, what did that look like for you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of the preparation I discussed, uh, previously was, it was going into the show and all I knew was it was a survival show. I knew it was about, I knew it was going to be 40 days. I didn't know how much money. I didn't know how many other cast members. I didn't know if we were voting each other out or competitions or what. So we found out those, the structure of it, like the first 72 hours in. Hmm. And uh, if, you watch, if you watch the first episode, it was interesting because during casting, we were kind of, it was kind of instilled in our brains by the producers. This is a team thing. So you guys each have a unique set of skills. And when y'all come together, you'll help each other. So everyone was thinking, oh, you know, we all need to pitch in. We'll help each other get to the end. And then when I heard the structure of the game, I was like, we want everyone to quit. Ideally, if all nine of them quit, I get 100%. So every time mm -hmm. someone quits, I get more percentage. You know this. Your listeners are smart enough to know this. But apparently, out of the 10 people on the show, I was the only one that was smart enough to recognize, it, recognize this immediately. So first episode, everyone's like talking about how they can help each other get further. And I'm thinking, you know, we need at least five people or six people to quit to get a significant amount because I'm trying to get, you know, ideally over 200,000. But in a perfect world, you know, you know, if I can be one of two or the only one in the end, that's what I'm going for. So my mindset was kind of thinking, you know, three hundred, you know, 200,000 to, to 400,000 range. Okay. So what, what got people to quit throughout the show? Like what were the, what were some of the hardships that people were going through and that you had to push through to, to keep going and to stay in, in, in the running? You know, it's kind of weird. Um, I, I don't understand why people quit. I still don't understand to this day, but just being uncomfortable, constantly wet. And it was a mint is completely mental. It wasn't physical because you can survive out there. Fine. You know, you're not going to die sitting in the rain. It, it wasn't freezing cold either. Um, but it was just, I think, constantly being dirty and starving and getting rained on and having nowhere to hide from the rain uh, that mentally it exhausted people. And what happens is when you're in the middle of a rainstorm and it's pitch black, you know, out there and your shelter collapses, um, you just 
think it'll never end when in reality it might go for eight more hours but after that the sun might come up the next day for all you know but people are so stuck and trapped in the moment and they can't see they get that tunnel vision right they're like i'm Mm. uncomfortable this isn't going to end and then that's when they ultimately tap out um so it's hard for me to you know i don't know how you feel like you would do but for me i was 22 I knew that this could be a huge kickstart in my financial journey. So I didn't know necessarily what I would do with the money, but I figured I'd figure it out. I I didn't know anything about the stock market either, which is crazy. (laughs) My stock market knowledge was zero um, at that point, which is crazy to think because I'm, you know, it's only a few years back and now I'm, you know, know so much about it. Um, But really winning that money too, you know, moving forward to when I won the money, once it hit my bank account, it forced me just a sense of urgency to learn about, you know, all the strategies in real estate and all the strategies in investing. And that's when I found, you know, Jeremy, uh, in his channel. And that was back when he had like 10,000 subscribers. <laughs> and it's real funny. Cause I was looking up the difference between Roth IRA and, uh, you know, IRA and I found his video. Then I found his channel and I'd watch his stuff every single day. It's crazy how this stuff has blown up on YouTube too. Yeah, <laughs> you got a few. You got a few people with like a few hundred thousand subscribers now. Um, so in that, the education that I've had these past few years, because I just started working, but before that, I was just flipping, and it wasn't growing enough. My inventory wasn't growing enough, so I spent all my time, you know, really learning, really mm-hmm. learning from YouTube. So my knowledge at this point is in a really good place. You know, I invested in my, my financial literacy. So now I've gone out and got the job to help build it up. And I'm already seeing such an increase in sales. So, um, you know, that, that money, that money like motivated me to do that. Cause I was like, okay, I got 125,000. A few other people did that. I don't like, you know, but <laughs> I'm going to turn this into millions. Whereas they're just going to spend it just as they did on the TV show, you know? Hmm. That's the truth. And for those of you guys that, that aren't, they don't know who Jeremy is, um, back in uh, episode 71, um, I would say about three or four weeks ago now, um, we had Jeremy from Financial Education on the podcast. He's got a YouTube channel with like a quarter million subscribers. And he talks about, like you were saying, the stock market, real estate, and how you can basically invest your money to make more money. Um, so he's absolutely killing it over there. But just for those of you that weren't sure who we were talking about now, uh, Cody, tell us a little bit about sort of like what goes on behind the scenes of a reality TV show. Cause I've, I've always been curious, like what's going on that, that the public isn't seeing, they're not showing on camera. So what are some of the things that you were sort of surprised about that were happening on, on the set of your show? Oh man, it's hard. It's hard to take myself back to that mindset of okay. what I perceive things as. Cause now that I've seen it, you know, yeah. I can't. It's hard to unsee it, um, but there's a lot of. So here's the thing: producers are the chess players, and we're the chess pieces, right? Mm-hmm. That's the reality of it. And you have cameramen out there, and you have audio guys. So you have a cameraman, audio guy, producer, um, and you have your little teams of three moving around, and they all get on this side so that none of them are in each other's shots. Um, And, you know, they want you to, when you have conversations, if we were having a conversation like this, we'd both angle ourselves this way slightly, right? So the camera can hit me here and can hit you there, right? Um, So you have that. And then also the producer influence, people think like they tell you to do things or tell you to say things, Mm -hmm. um, which could be true in certain settings if they want to get like a, a, a quick sound bite of you saying something so they can put it in the trailer or something like that. 
But the reality is producers have to be very intelligent with how they manipulate people. They have to manipulate the cast without the cast realizing they're being manipulated. Mm. So, so I would say every single person on my show, except for me right now is aware of that. So even though they went through the whole process, they would tell you, yeah, producers don't have any influence when the reality is producers are controlling everything they do. They just don't know it. Um, so it would be very fun to be a producer, I think. Um, and you know, they do things, their job is to get views. Their job is to get ratings. So they might've done things that don't necessarily help my cause, which is to make the most money possible. But at the end of the day, you know, if I can see their motivation, then I can live with that. Um, what frustrated me though, was I thought producers, a lot of the producers had experience on like drama based reality TV shows versus competition shows. Hmm. And I felt like, I felt like I understood how crowd reaction would happen better than they did. Hmm. So it was frustrating because they did things like they, you know, four people finished. I thought that it would have been better for the show if one or two people got money in the end, um, just to, as a testament of how tough it, it was. Um, and they carried, you know, they would talk a couple of the people that got two of the people that got to the end tried to quit every single morning, like the last two weeks. And producers would come down and give them like a 30 minute to one hour pep talk to keep them from quitting which was extremely frustrating for me because my whole goal is to, to push them out of the game, to get them to mentally give up and quit. And then you have producers not letting them quit when that's the mm -hmm. only way they can go home. Uh, so that's an example. And then also, you know, producers and networks that they lie about a lot of stuff on survival, on survival shows. I could tell you like, um, you know, a lot of shows say, oh, the survivalist films his own stuff, or there's only one camera guy. And that's, there's multiple camera people for sure. Um, you know, I think Bear Grylls is supposedly filmed with just him and a camera guy, but you can see this stuff just using common sense. Anyone who's made like vlogs where you set up multiple camera angles and you walk out of the door and then, you know, you know that you, it's impossible to get those shots with just one other person. So things like that, like they, they tried to, they tried to get us to, you know, tell a fib, which it's meaningless, but they wanted us to, I guess, you know, they had a strategy behind it, but they wanted us to say that the whole thing was recorded by drones, which is just impossible Yeah. because you can, you can tell, you know, when people are carrying a camera. So that was a poorly thought out lie that they kind of tried <laughs> to put together at the end. And then there were, cam there were pictures released, um, where there's like cameramen in the background. So it was just a little awkward. And it, it ultimately, when you tell lies that are um, easy to expose, you lose credibility. Oh, yeah. So, so if you're going to lie, you want to lie about something people couldn't prove wrong, I guess. Uh, so those are, those are just some of the examples. Um, you know, you have people, you have, you have people like trying to get camera time, like that know that you can't fight. So they act like they're going to fight when they really want to do that in real life. Um, Things like that, but it's a fascinating thing. Reality TV. I've always had a, an appreciation for it. Um, I think the personal branding piece of it is what I really like. So creating a character that is relevant on the show and that you know gets you know gets a reaction out of the crowd. I think is what I really appreciated about it the most, and what gets me excited about it. So a lot of those things do translate over to personal branding on YouTube and Instagram and stuff. Okay. What are the good elements that, that you see in a reality TV show character? Like what are the things that, that make somebody stand out and make somebody like a crowd favorite or somebody who is able to build a personal brand off of that? Um, I, I think, geez, I think 
a lot of things, uh, being polarizing, but being true to yourself, I guess, because a lot of people try to be what they think will be liked mm. and just keeping it real. So same thing on YouTube. If you're making YouTube videos, like I think about it all, all the time. I think, how can I grow the channel? What can I do? But the reality is if I just be myself and have fun, people will be attracted to that. You know, you don't necessarily have to copy somebody else that's been successful. Maybe you like things about them um, that you can implement in your game, but just being true to yourself, I would, I would say is the biggest thing. Um, and then also it seems like it's, I don't know. I'm a big fan of the villains in reality TV shows. I think uh, they're always the most entertaining, I guess. And hmm. I think what I saw was a lot of people were scared to be perceived as a, a bad person. So they would do things that were just stupid. Uh, when in reality, a lot of times the person that they think when they're recording is going to be the bad guy is the most well-liked, which is what happened with me. My castmates thought everyone was going to hate me. And I knew I had watched enough reality TV shows um, to know that the, cr the crowd would appreciate it because a lot of the stuff I was doing was common sense and it would be relatable to the people. So, so for me, it was like, I want to make decisions that people on the couch would be like, that's what I would do if I was out there. Even if they wouldn't because they don't realize what they would actually do, they think they would behave uh, like I did. Another thing that I've, I've forgot to mention when you ask how I prepare is watching TV shows, watching how people act and watching how Twitter reacts to them live was a big thing. And that, that helped me tremendously in brainstorming, okay, how am I going to be perceived this episode? How are fans going to react to that? And uh, it allowed me to, you know, do some things and make some decisions later in the game based on how I felt that I would have the support of the audience based on my actions. The first few uh, episodes when you build that loyalty um, with, with the fans. So that too. Wow. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot more that goes into that. I mean, I'm not somebody who watches reality TV really at all, but I, I never, I never imagined that there was so much that went into sort of crafting your persona and, and, and relating with the audience and, and really just being able to carve out a space for yourself. Like I had no, I had no clue there was this much nuance going on. And then here's the thing. I, I can say with pretty great confidence that there's a high chance that I'm the only person on a reality TV show that's taken it this far um, <laughs> in preparation. I, I don't know that there's too many others, you know, some people are great characters, but it's just natural. Mm. Um, and I think that for me, it was a bit more calculated and strategic. I really approached approached it as an entrepreneur. Um, and I approached it as an opportunity to create something for myself, um, social media following and the money. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I'm thankful I got the money I got because a lot of people go on shows and don't get anything. But unfortunately, the show didn't, um, you know, didn't pick up like I had hoped it would. So the social media followings, uh, you know, not as great as I, I wish it would have been. It was about 10,000 on Instagram. Uh, but they're such random followers. It's, it's not as valuable as like your 10,000 on Instagram where they're all mm -hmm. like minded and they all consume your content. You know, most of those 10,000 don't care about the shoes. Um, so, so it's kind of a useless 10,000, if that makes sense. Yeah. The only one thing they have in common is TV shows and how can you turn TV shows into, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to turn that into, uh, into content. That's the truth. That's the truth. And that's why it's so important to like, make sure that you're intentionally building people who are interested in the niche that you're in, instead of just having like followers that are, that are all over the place. Cause it's not going to be as easy to convert them on, on whatever message you're trying to spread or whatever you're trying to promote.
Yeah, and that's kind of what I did with the the uh, retail arbitrage channel, which I really touch on. You know, any random thing I decide to on that channel, but the the main thing is I vlog myself going to the outlets and then show people what I what I source and what I flip. And for me, I, I'm always obsessing over something. Uh, throughout my life, I've always looked back on certain times where oh, I was obsessed with this, I was obsessed with this, and. I got to a point where I was obsessed with reality TV when I got on it and then a little bit after and I was like, this isn't productive. You know, I'm wasting time watching TV shows and yeah, I I tweet funny tweets and I'm good at that and I get a lot of, you know, reaction on the the hashtag survivor, hashtag big brother, but it's not going to lead anywhere. So I was like, you know, I want to kind of try to focus in on my next obsession, be something that's productive. So that's when I did the retail arbitrage and kind of, you know, tripled down on that and I don't I think there's no looking back honestly I, I enjoy it a lot like when Gary Vee goes garage selling in his videos and he talks about how how it makes him feel so good and that's exactly how mine is and it's funny because I always I always thought before I watched Gary Vee with his um, trash talk his garage mm-hmm. sale videos I always thought you know I probably will keep doing this always like I don't know what amount of money I'd have to build up to where I could walk past a, a pair of shoes that's worth 200 and I can get it for 36 and sell it for 120 like I feel like I always take that always Mm. take that flip because I just love it so much and to see Gary doing it a little it kind of reassures me like yeah I'll probably do it as long as you know as long as the opportunity is there Mm. that's the truth that's the truth all right Cody I got some questions that I like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up the show are you feeling ready for him I am I've been watching I've been watching a lot of your podcasts so I I think I know what might be coming. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I love, I love when the guests prepare beforehand. <laughs> I, now, I, now, I haven't prepared answers. Okay, okay, okay. But you have some oh. idea what's happening right now. But yeah, I've been, watching, I've been watching this show a lot. I mean, Jeremy's episode, Financial Education, mm-hmm. Jeremy's episode would expose me to your podcast. I'd seen you around, of course, in the past. Um, you know, you, you do stand out with the bandana and the hair, of course. <laughs> Um, but I dove deep in, so I have a long commute as a recruiter, you know, it was a good opportunity for me. And, uh, I drive like an hour, hour, 15 minutes, uh, each way, Wow! but I listen to educational stuff on the mm. way. So I'm investing in my, you know, my, uh, financial literacy. So part of that was watching your podcasts and you've had some big time guests on here. So I'm thankful that you, uh, I'm thankful that you had me on, honestly. Absolutely, dude. And I mean, I was just so fascinated by your story because again, I, there's this one guy that I really look up to. His name is Alex Benayan. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he wrote a book called The Third Door. Uh, I think it was last year. And I just listened to that via Audible. It was, it was a really, really good book. And his whole story is that he won the prices right. He sort of hacked the prices right, similar to what you did. And he won the show. And then he used his money that he won to fund this expedition where he went out and interviewed some of the most successful people in their respective fields. He interviewed Bill Gates, Lady Gaga, um, sort of Warren Buffett, a bunch of different people. And I've just always, since reading that book, I've been fascinated by the idea of like hacking a game show and getting on it. So it was, it was really cool when, when you messaged me because I was like, dang, this dude, this dude's got a similar story. So I want to hear, I want to hear about it. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So if you want to do it, you know, hit me up. I studied the process for a while. So I, I help a lot of people with the audition process and, uh, really? you know, Price is Right is interesting because so a lot of those shows like Dill or No Dill, Price is Right, you've got like the Million Dollar Mile. There's a, there's a few shows out there now. Um, that one show, The Wall, I think it's called The Wall. Yeah. You can win like, you can win a few million dollars on that show. 
um, which is crazy because it's a one day, like my thing, I was suffering for 40 days yeah. out in the wilderness. Um, but these shows are like just one day of filming or two days of filming and you can get a ton of money. Um, I guess the shows generate enough money to pay people that much. Sure. But the, I mean, I think in my opinion, everyone should try to win one TV show. Um, you can't win more than one. Cause once you get on one, they'll, they ask you that and they, they're looking for new people. Mm. Um, so that's why I say that. But yeah, like people that, you know, you haven't been on TV, you, you should go for it. Cause what happens is everybody says, Oh, I'll never get on. So they don't apply. Yep. And the competition is actually a lot less than you realize, hmm. which is something that I figured out when I got called for like the first one I applied for, I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, nobody's applying cause they all are scared of failure. They all think, Oh, I'm not going to get it. So why try? Yep. Um, but it's, it's not as hard as you think to get on. So that's, that's pretty fascinating to hear that story. Yeah. Everyone's writing themselves off before they even like start the game because they just think, Oh, I could never do that. Like they're never going to pick me when in reality, like you, you never know. And like when, like you said, when the competition is that much lower than you'd expect, like you really never know. And I mean, they cast people of all ages. So you have mm. your whole life to get on. So like if you apply to one show a month, and you make it, I'm only applying for shows where I can get 50,000 or more. You apply to one show a month, eventually a couple years into it, you're going to get on one and get it. Um, but yeah, it's a nice, you know, it's a nice thing to get that much money for something as, as fun as a TV show. Cause it was a blast. The experience without the money, I was on an emotional high every single day out there. I was, I was truly enjoying it. And I just, I just felt like I was living in a dream. Like, I was like, I can't believe I actually pulled this off. Like, what are the odds that this actually happened? Like, yeah, I set out to go do it. And I told everyone, yeah, I'm gonna get on a show. And I applied. But like, for it to actually happen, I would tell myself that every day. And I'll just be so excited and so happy and just grateful, really. Mm, that's the truth. All right, Cody, let's dive into these questions. So the first thing I want to ask you is what are you excited about right now? This could be something in your business, something to do with your retail arbitrage, but like what's something that genuinely has you excited? Um, I think there's so many things, man. Mm -hmm. There's so many things. And I think that might be part of uh, the mental health and just like the, the science of being an entrepreneur. You have so much to be excited about. Like if you go to a nine to five, you know you're going to get X amount and that's all you're going to get mm -hmm. and you have nothing to look forward to. Uh, so I'm excited about everything that I have to look forward to. So I'm going to do a lot of traveling. We're doing the credit card hacking where we're, we're getting the travel points. Um, my wife and I are going on our honeymoon to Italy this summer. Excited Ooh. about that for sure. Excited. The recruiting thing has me pumped. Um, so the way it works is your pay is set in stone in the military, but with recruiting, uh, there is incentive to work hard because of the quota. So if you get ahead on your quota, uh, you can actually get down to three day work weeks. Hmm. So you can, you can basically spend your time working on your YouTube channel and sourcing inventory because they're like, well, you know, this is how many people you had to put in, you put them in, you're good. So excited to put my first person in. I just started, you know, this is my first month. And also not just from personal reasons, but also like the impact you make in people's lives when you teach them about the national guard and it makes sense for them. Like if this first guy gets in or whoever else I find, it's literally going to change his life, his whole situation. Um, like his family financially is, is pretty, you know, not doing the best financially, but I can tell they're really great people. 
Uh, so if I can help them out there and even be a mentor beyond helping them get in the guard and get the benefits and all that, that gets me pumped as well. Then just seeing the retail arbitrage grow. Uh, so seeing, you know, I kind of hovered around making like 2000 to 4,000, um, not even in profit. I don't think I, I don't, I didn't, don't do the best job of, uh, <laughs> of accounting. I just, I just say, Hey, if this is a profitable show, I'll do it. So excited to see it finally grow because I'm investing a hundred percent of my income, which is like 4,400 after taxes. So I'm investing about, you know, a thousand out of the paycheck every week into this. So wow. as you can imagine, it's growing significantly. Um, so I'm pumped for that because obviously with more money, more opportunities to invest. Um, and my goal is to get, uh, get a few rental properties. So get into real estate a little further. So I have the one house I want to buy a second and third, hopefully over the next 12 months. Um, so pumped about that. And you know, the YouTube channel, of course, the YouTube channel. So <laughs> I got, and maybe you can help me with this here. So yeah. I think that something was tied to my Google AdSense account or my YouTube account some way to the account I had when I was a kid. And I clicked my own ads when I first got monetized when I was like 12 <laughs> and they, they took it away. Right. So I don't, it doesn't make sense, man. Cause I got monetization. I just realized I got monetization, um, a couple I guess like one year ago or a year and a half ago, but it's taken away now. So I have like, I think I have like 3,400 or 3,500 subscribers, but it's starting to kind of pick up and it sucks because those are the hardest to get right when you first start out. Yeah. And I'm just like, if I can't get my account monetized, I kind of should start over now before I get like 10,000 mm. no monetization. So I don't know. What would you do if you're in that boat? Man, honestly, I have no clue because like my channel, it's at the threshold, but I choose not to monetize it just because like, I don't know, like at, at this point, like the money isn't really worth it to me and I'd rather just have it be easier for people to watch my videos. Yeah. But I, I don't know, man. It, it depends. It depends on what your goals are and it depends. Like, I don't, I don't even really know how the monetization system works. Like, I just know that like once you meet the threshold, you can do it unless you're not able to do it. So I'm not, I'm not the guy to ask. I mean, I got some connections that I could hook you up with that are big in the YouTube space that could probably give you some answers, but like, I'm not. Yeah. So I've talked to a few guys and one guy does uh, retail arbitrage vlogs, like similar to mine. Okay. He has 10,000 subscribers and he made, he made $2,000 last month. In ads? So like, dang. Yeah, I was like $2,000, man, because, you know, the entrepreneurship space, people are paying more yeah. for that. You're getting more. It's a valuable, you know, valuable videos to create. Um, so I was like, dang, 2000 and you only have 10,000 subscribers. Uh, so I was like, geez, um, because that, that was appealing to me. But then also, you can make so much off affiliate marketing. It's almost yeah. worth you know, I have one video. Also, do you know if the algor algorithms, um, you know, favor people who are monetized versus uh, disabled? Because I kind of feel like a lot of people say, hey, like your videos helped me get to 15,000 in sales a month. And they're like, I don't know why your videos don't have more views. And I'm kind of thinking like, kind of thinking maybe that's part of it too but i don't know for sure of course you mean I, i've heard that i've heard that from multiple people i honestly have no idea oh, like i'm man. not i'm not like deep in the youtube world just because like i'm going all in on the yeah. podcast we're a top 100 business podcast yeah. so i'm like diving all in here youtube is extremely secondary to me but 
I, yeah, man, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the answers to your questions, but I do have, I've had people on the show and I'm having people on the show in the future who are like pros at YouTube. So I could definitely connect you with them, but like, I'm not your guy for YouTube. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got you. Well, you're killing it in the podcast game. I mean, I feel like this is one of my favorite entrepreneurship podcasts now after watching, you know, all the guests you bring in. Um, so I'm excited for it because all I've been doing is watching YouTube videos, but kind of listening to them. So mm. I'm throwing, I'm throwing you in the, uh, in the rotation for sure. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm going to, I'm going to hit the reset button on the YouTube, um, here and see if I do any better on the new channel. That's not like restricted, mm. but my big goal, my big goal. Also, one thing I want to drop before I go is the big goal of my YouTube is you see so many people talking real estate, talking stock market. And the reality is if you, if your expenses and your income are level, so you're spending every dollar you make pretty much, it's hard to jump into real estate. It's hard to jump into the stock market um, and really build wealth that way. So what I try to do is I try to help people double their income. So if you're making 2000 to 4000 each month, teach you how to make 4000 to 8000 so that mm. you can have extra money to start funneling. So it's, it's almost like I see it as, you know, People watch what I do. They learn what I do. They do that. They get good at it. And then they start implementing, you know, financial education or, you know, real estate investing after that. Because I feel like so many people watch those videos that just don't have the money to invest in the stock market. And, you know, everyone always says, you know, so you got to start somewhere. But the reality is if you have a hundred dollars, you're going to turn it into 200 a hell of a lot faster with these shoes behind me than you are buying, you know, buying uh, a, a couple stocks and hoping that they double, you know, so. That's the truth. That's the truth. Cody, where can our listeners go if they've been enjoying the value you've been dropping? They want to follow up with you, learn more about your story and uh, what you're doing uh, as far as retail arbitrage goes. Well, it's all about Instagram for me. So at Cody Thrive. And uh, if you watch the TV show, it'll make a little more sense. That's how I picked <laughs> the name. The name kind of chose me. I didn't choose the name, but I'm sticking with it for now. And then uh, I throw my YouTube channels in the, uh, in the link tree. So cool. I might be, I might be changing those up here, but I, YouTube will always be a big, a big part of my life too. Cause I just enjoy it so much. Mm. I'll be sure to link up all of those in the show notes below as well for y'all to check out. And uh, I love, I love Cody thrive. Um, branding is essential and having a name that stands out is a must. <laughs> I can tell you that dude. It just, it, it really, it, it, it helps a lot when you have a memorable name and a memorable face and just branding. Branding is so, so important. Can't stress that enough. Cody, do you have any <laughs> last uh, parting thoughts or words of wisdom for our listeners here on this show today? I know you've been dropping a ridiculous amount of value, but anything you want to close out the show with? Yeah. So I would just say, you know, we've talked about the TV show a lot. Um, part of the TV show was going to Fiji for me. So it was kind of the first time I had exposure to a third world country and villagers, you know, they're literally villagers and they have to forge for food and they use machetes and stuff to protect themselves, to build shelter, to protect themselves from the rain. Um, and it just shows me like, <clears throat> we are so lucky. Like, you know, this is something Gary Vee says, right? We're so lucky. We're born humans. 2019, we're living in this era. Uh, that, that so many special things are happening and you know a lot of us are Americans but if you're watching this you know you have access to the internet and technology um, so we have these opportunities and in some countries like Fiji you could work so hard and you could be so determined and you couldn't do anything you wouldn't be able to separate yourself right 
Um, you know, you would help out with the village, but you wouldn't be able to become a multimillionaire or really become financially free, right? Um, a lot of them don't even use money. They don't even touch money because that's not even, it's crazy. It's hard to imagine that until you see it. So just appreciate this opportunity that we're so blessed to have and go make something for yourself. And then get to the point where you've, you're at the top, you've had it made, and then go to the third world country, pass out food, water. It's weird, but that was probably, that was one of the highest, you know, emotional highs that I've ever felt was uh, right when I won the 25,000 and I'd been starving for so long. And I was like, I'm going to get to eat food tonight. And I went over there and all the village kids were there so happy to see like American TV show. And I was passing out food to the villagers. It was so weird, right? Because I was thinking about myself like eating the whole time. And I was like, man, like I got to hook them up with peanut butter because they don't get to eat that. Like, so it was, you know, just appreciate what we have because we're so blessed and make something of it. Don't waste it by living a mediocre or even below average life. Like go out there and make something for yourself. Mm. Cody, that's the truth, man. 400 trillion to one. Y'all could have been a ladybug, but you are a human. Take advantage <laughs> of that. Cody, thank you so much for your time, man. I really do appreciate it. Appreciate you choosing to spend it here on Young Smart Money and drop some serious value on our listeners when it comes to game shows. I know I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners did as well. Y'all don't forget to check out Cody and his links in the show notes for this episode. Otherwise, Cody, man, have an absolutely wonderful, wonderful day and we'll see you later. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Young Smart Money. Again, if you guys did enjoy the show, do remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us get in front of more people with the show. It helps you hear from even more amazing guests. It just makes the world go round when you do smash that five-star in iTunes iTunes. And if you guys want me to shout you out in my Instagram story, I am always up for that. So if you send a screenshot of your review to Apple Crater Official on Instagram, shoot me a DM of that or just tag me in it. Would love to repost it on my short story and give y'all a shout out there. Otherwise, I hope you guys do have a wonderful day, whether you're out walking the dog, whether you are at the gym, whatever you are up to on this fine day. I hope it is a splendid one and I will see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful day.